0: Welcome to Camrio Community Church. My name is David Hurtado. If you're new to us, I'm the lead pastor here, and if I haven't got a chance to run into you. I'd love to meet you on the patio afterwards. I'll be out there hanging out. Before we get started today, I want to do some housekeeping items real quick. Kind of a family meeting of sorts. Um, kind of a family financial update. I want to just let you know where we're at as we come through the summer and where we are at as a church. Uh, as a kind of typical for churches and the ebbs and flows of giving throughout the year, there's different uh, kind of giving rhythms. The summer is usually kind of a down rhythm for most churches. Ours included in that. We came out about $30,000 below our agreed-upon budget from the summer. That's not a huge number. It sounds bigger than it really is. It's about 5% of our overall budget that we're behind. And so uh, we're not concerned. That's not not alarming. There's no fire here. It's not a fire alarm. Just to let you know where we're at, we're pretty confident with coming through that Christmas season and year and gifts and whatnot uh, that God will have us exactly where we want to be. And so just letting you know if you're like me, you might go, man, I have to go back and check and see, have I given to the goal that I set for myself to give to the Lord this year? And maybe you'll do that, and maybe God will use that to bring us back up. Uh, we haven't spent to our budget either, and so you know, like any organization, if, if the, the cash flow coming in, we kind of tighten down a little bit, and so we're certainly not in any danger at all. But we do want to say that if we have that $30,000, we could actually do more ministry for the Lord. And so I just want to let you make make you aware of that where we're at. Again, I'm a big believer in giving uh, communication. Do this once or twice a year just to let you know where we're at. If you're part of the church family here at Cameroon Community Church, this is my family, then this pertains to you. And together we can uh, make up the deficit without a problem. So I'm confident God will do that for us uh, in this coming Christmas season. With that, let me shift gears and let's switch now to uh, the message. And I was thinking this week about how I would intro the message and uh, Pretty interesting text that we're going into today. I thought, man, how do you intro this? And as I was thinking and deliberating about that, I got a, I got a Facebook instant message. You guys know what that is? If you don't, anyway. Anyway. So it's so an instant message on Facebook, and on the instant message was a video clip, and it's from a trusted friend of mine right here in our church, good guy, loves the Lord, and I thought, oh, watch that video. Sometimes if I get stuff I don't know who it is, I just delete. I'm like, I don't know who you are, you know, type of thing, and maybe you're like that too. I don't pick up phone calls, I don't know the number, that kind of thing. But anyway, this guy I knew, and uh, trusted guy, loves the Lord, and I thought, let me watch this video, and the video was so compelling, and actually gets us right on track as to where we're going today in our passion I thought, you know. No, I don't think I can do any better in introing the message than than this video so I thought what we do this morning is actually we're just gonna turn the screens and watch this video and let that be the intro to our message So look at the screens
1: closer the person is to us and the less common the struggle the easier it is to love God forbid I found out my wife has three months to live I quit my job I quit everything right what if it's just an acquaintance of yours and what if the problems recurring the more common and further from us How common is homelessness? And how frequently is the homeless person someone dear to us personally? Never. So I took a few moments a couple of weeks ago and camped outside of a couple of our campuses. And I wanted to see how we were doing, you know, when it's hardest to love. Do you know that your father in heaven is giving the same graces to the person that's hardest for you to love? He's giving it. He's giving he doesn't play favorites he's giving the grace to everyone and if we're going to love like our father in heaven loves we don't get to play favorites and by favorites i mean so often we love the people where there's some benefit in it for us right okay 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 fine i'll call my brother when i get home i haven't talked to him for two years but i'll call him really will you will you because that's going to work out pretty good for you right everything's gonna be good with your brother your mom will get off your back and your sister's not gonna think you're a jerk anymore and and i mean this is but see that's not what i'm talking about yes do that but not just that where it's not your favorite where there's nothing in it for you where it's not an upgrade to your portfolio of awesomeness so how did our church do in the video i'm gonna tell you now awesome. I I was crying inside that beard. I cannot believe the people in this church. The number of people that prayed with me and brought me food, just watch and see. Morning. Here's a coffee. A coffee, to keep you warm. Let's just pray for you real quick. Here, Heavenly Father, so thankful, Lord, that you brought this man to your church on your day, Lord. We are so blessed that he's here, Lord. We just pray pour into this man mm. and just bless him and love him. Bless
0: you. Well, God, I just pray that you would just meet this man, and Father, that if it would be your will, that you would just have. Uh, him come into our church but you just know the love of christ i don't want you to be out here without knowing him okay
1: you're welcome to come inside we'd love to have you
0: you Got can it? come in <laughs> if
1: you want That's all.
0: Bye. how you doing tonight doing okay you like to come in
1: and have church with us, and sit with us for church? Is there any like people who pray for you, or is? But it... I got some water for you and uh, something more valuable. It's the Word of God here. Thank God bless you. Is there anything
0: I have to be praying for for you, sir?
1: Can I pray for you? Uh, Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day, and thank you for my friend here. I just pray that you be with him today. Uh, Give him everything he needs. Provide for him. God, you are our provider. You love us, you care for us, and you love this man right here.
0: pretty compelling, isn't it? Let me ask you to do something that we don't normally do, kind of a little different today. Let me ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God today. If you can, you're able, you're willing, just stand and I'll read it for you today. We'll read the whole passage together. Usually I don't do that. It'll be on the screens for you to follow along. This comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says this, then they came to Jericho and as Jesus And his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man named Bartimaeus, that is a son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him, and they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and he came to Jesus, what is it you want me to do, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you, and immediately he received a sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. You see, one of the reasons that that video is so compelling is because it embodies the very character of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, while everybody else is, is, is trying to get the guy to shut up and be quiet and you're nagging and, and, and uh, you know, bringing him down, Jesus says, bring him to me. Why did he do that? What was he thinking? What was he, what was he trying to do? What was he trying to show those who are watching? What was so compelling about the man's approach that Jesus would react that way? And what was the takeaway for those in the crowd? Why doesn't Jesus find this man to be a nuisance like everybody else? And how does the blind beggar symbolize all of us? That's what we're gonna look at today, and that's what we just read about in the book of Mark. And we're gonna ask the question, it'll be on the screen for you. It says, what can we learn from the story of the blind beggar? What can we learn from the story of the blind beggar? Number one, the first thing we learn is sometimes nagging is okay. Sometimes nagging is okay. We saw that in verse 47. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, and he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes nagging is okay. We see this in other parts of the Bible too. We saw it when the lady comes to the unjust judge and she goes and she nags him and nags him and nags him. And even though he's an unjust judge, finally, because he's so tired of the nagging, he says, fine, I'll give it to you. And God says, if an unjust judge can give that to a nagging person, how much more, if you nag me, will I give you what you want when I love you as your father? And so we see this idea that sometimes nagging is okay. And we see this guy pleading and begging on the side of the road. He hears that Jesus is coming, and it flips the switch for him. Now, you understand, he's on the side of the road, right along the path where all these Passover pilgrims are walking by. We know this because we saw this earlier. Jesus going to Jerusalem for the Passover. He knows he's heading towards his death. Along with him would be all the other good Jewish religious people who are going to Jerusalem to be, take part in this festival. Think of it as a worship service, going to church and going to worship God. And so this blind beggar puts himself down with his cloak in front of him. And it's actually rather strategic. These people who are going to go to Jerusalem are going to a religious activity, a religious festival, a worship environment, and you would never, in, that, in those times, you never come to church empty-handed. You would, never go to, you would never go to this place where you're going to worship the Almighty God without some gift to give to him. And so if they're packing in their bags some sort of alms, some sort of offering, some sort of ability to give back to God. And this guy sitting down in their way, it, it's actually rather strategic. Maybe those people who are going to worship God will be kind to me. In fact, it's not unlike what we saw in the video. guy sets out, he's the pastor of the church, just want to see how this church would respond. And he sits there, as they're walking into church, how they respond to a, to a, to a, to a beggar or a homeless person right in front of their patio. And, and the whole idea is this is strategic plan for him to maybe get some more um, gifts, maybe get some more money. That's what he's doing, and so he sits there, but once he finds out that Jesus is there, now he obviously didn't see him because he's blind, somebody tells him about Jesus, he's heard about this Jesus before, and what this Jesus can do miraculously, all of a sudden his whole strategy shifts, and he, and he calls out to him, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. We can, we can say that in, in, a, in, a, in a more literal fashion. It's a, the verb is written in the, in the middle voice. So the idea is he, he, he began for himself to scream and cry out and speak. I mean, just, just see if you can picture in your mind. I'm My only chance here, my only shot at this, and so I'm screaming and shouting out, Jesus, Son of David, Have mercy on me. My my last resort, that's all I got. And he uses this title, the Son of David. Now this is kind of interesting because we have not seen the title of the Son of David in the book of Mark. It's the first time we've seen it uh, since we've been going through the book of Mark. This is the first time we've seen that title, Son of David, in the book of Mark. But it's not a title that would be unfamiliar to those with a Jewish background. Uh, We see it used, or this idea of of the son of David would be the Messiah. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. We see it in Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 5. We see it in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. This idea that David would have a son who would be the Messiah who will restore all things. That there's one coming in the line of David to be the Messiah, and he'll fix everything. And so here is this guy acknowledging, I think you're that guy. You're the son of David. You're the Messiah. In fact, we see in Matthew chapter 21, verses 15 and 16, if you want to go check that out later today. uh, We see that when the children start crying out in reference to Jesus that he is the son of David, the religious leaders get upset. They get indignant about it. And why would they get indignant about them calling him the son of David? Because they were rejecting him as Messiah. So this idea that the, the son of David and Messiah, they were kind of son of David equals Messiah, Messiah equals son of David. And so here's this blind beggar saying, hey, I know you. You're the guy from the Old Testament. You're the son of David. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I need you to have mercy mercy on me. Of course, they try to stop him. The people around Jesus try to get him to, to be quiet, but he would not be deterred. In verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. It just made him more resilient. Son of David, have mercy on me. Me. I've heard all these stories about how you have mercy on so many other people. Can you have mercy on me? Can you throw some of that mercy in my direction? Have mercy on me. So in desperation, he is not going to be deterred. It says they rebuked him. It's written in the imperfect. The idea is they were continually trying to get him to shut up, to shush him, to, to, to stop from being a nuisance, to get him to be quiet. In fact, we can literally write it to shut his mouth. Be quiet. You're bothering. You're being a nuisance. But in his desperation, he just would not stop. Have mercy on me. I wonder if you can hear the desperation in his voice when he says it. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You're my only hope. This idea of mercy, what, what is the biblical idea of mercy? What does that look like? You might want, if you're in a growth group, you might want to take extra special notes here because there probably will be a question on this. Uh, mercy in the Bible is the idea of unmerited or undeserved kindness unmerited or undeserved kindness. It's not getting what you deserve. There's often a, a, a misunderstanding between grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, namely heaven. So when I get heaven, it's because of the grace of God. Okay? Mercy is not getting what I do deserve, meaning hell. So when I don't get hell, it's because of the mercy of God. When I get heaven, it's because of the grace of God. Do you see the difference? So it's not getting what you do deserve. And here's a guy saying, I know I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. Would you have mercy on me? Now, you got to understand, in that day, in that context, if you were blind, it was thought of as God judging you, having his judgment upon you. For some sin you did, for some sin in your family, some way, shape, or form, you've done something so wrong that God would strike you blind. Okay? And we see that that's not always the case in John chapter 9. Jesus actually goes out of his way to say it's not always the case, but that's the context of their understanding. So, everybody who's watching this, the people who are there for this interaction between this blind beggar and Jesus, are all thinking he is deservingly blind, and if he's going to get healed in this situation, it's going to be an undeserving kindness that he gets. That would be the context, the undeserving c- kindness that he would get. And the guy saying, you're my only hope and I know I don't deserve it, but if I could just get some of your mercy, if you would just give me some of your mercy, I need your mercy. I know I don't deserve it. We sang about it today. I don't deserve it. I need your mercy. When our, uh, our, our biological kids, because you know I have two, two foster adopted, different situation, this, this uh, illustration I'm going to give did not apply to them at all. But when our two biological kids were really, really young, um, you know, there was a whole disciplinary process that we would do as a family. You guys know that. We never spanked because that's wrong, right? But we would get poppers. And so, um, and there is a big difference there. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> the way this would work is a very, 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 very regimented system where I would usually sense like Audrey go to the bed and then I would calm down and, you know, whatever she did, I, you know, and we really used this from the ages of like four to seven years old. So at between four years old, seven years old is when we would do this, use this activity. And then when they got older, now it's, now it's chores. You know, you do chores when you get disciplined, whatever. And so go to the bed. I'm going to calm down. And when I get there, we're going to have this long discussion uh, about why you're going to receive the popper. All right. And usually we would do like, you know, four years old, get four pops. Five years old, get five pops, whatever it is. Uh, on the bum, you know, kind of thing. And so, um, and we would have this big, long discussion. Why is this happening right now? What did we do? So we fully understand what's going on. Very calm conversation. Then we would go into the, into the time where we do the pops. And then after we do the pops, we had another long conversation about why it happened, right? And what, what, what were the steps that led to it and why, why it happened? And then usually there would be this opportunity for either Donovan or Audrey to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then we would go into an embrace. And this is probably the most important part of the whole thing. And I would watch, especially Audrey. she would lunge at my neck and hug me and just hold me so tight, and I would just rub her back and go, it's over, baby, it's over. I still love you. You're still my little girl. It's okay. We just have to learn and move forward, and we do that whole thing, right? And, and so the whole thing would take 20 minutes sometimes because of all the conversations. This is, not a, this is not a mechanism we use to flash and, you know, and do something in a hurry. Uh, the, 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 I don't think children would understand if we did that way. They would misunderstand the anger. And so this is more regimented, talking, calm process, and then there's always relationship restored at the end, okay? I say that because these things get politically incorrect and taken the wrong way and whatever. All right, (laughs) there was one time, Audrey's getting a little older, she's like six or seven years old, and I want to teach her this concept of mercy. And so we go through the whole thing, she's on the bed, we do the conversation, and I said, Audrey, I want to take a couple seconds to teach you what the Bible calls mercy. It's, it's the idea of not getting what you do deserve. And so because God has given your daddy mercy, daddy's gonna now give you mercy. And even though you deserve a pauper, I'm not gonna give it to you today. You're not gonna get it today. I and mean, you can imagine her, her, her eyes lit up, she smiled. She said, that's wonderful. This is called mercy. This is what God <laughs> describes as mercy in the Bible. And that's why you're not getting a pauper today. Of course, she loved it. A week later, she does something wrong again. And then I tell her, go to the bed. And she knows go to the bed is bad news. So she's on the bed screaming at the top of her lungs, I do deserve a pauper, but I don't want it. I do deserve a pauper, but I don't want it. I do deserve a pauper. Please give me mercy. You know? There's no mercy in my house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's the concept of mercy in the Bible. That's the concept. Not getting what you deserve. Not getting what you deserve get give me the opposite of what I deserve and so what do we learn from the story of the blind beggar number one sometimes nagging is okay and then number two sometimes we must state the obvious There's going to be times in life where God will cause you, I'm going to make you state the obvious. And that's what he does in this next section. We'll put it back on the screen. Verse 49 says this. Jesus stopped and he said, he called him. And so they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Kind of an interesting question, isn't it? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Uh, What we learn from the story of the blind beggar, sometimes we must state the obvious. Jesus calls the guy over and says, all right, I've heard you. Everybody's trying to quiet you down, not me. In fact, all the people, they switch from shut up to, hey, cheer up, he's going to talk to you, you know. And so he gets up rather quickly, throws his garment aside. His garment was probably placed in front of him, Uh, not unlike like a, 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 you know, you go to Third Street Promenade and see a guy with a guitar and he opens up his guitar case and that's where you throw the your money that you want to support the guy who's playing the guitar if you like it type of thing. This would be like his little receptacle to receive alms from people who are going to worship God. If you want to help me out, you can throw throw money on my cloak. Throws that aside, says forget all that, runs to Jesus. Somebody obviously bringing him along to where Jesus is. And then there's the big clarifying question. What do you want from me? What would you like me to do for you blind man? Does that seem weird to anybody else in the room? Here, I'm a blind guy. You're Jesus. You've done all these miracles. I've heard about you doing all these miracles. I'm crying out to you, and Jesus says, what do you want from me? What is it that you want from me? In fact, all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them synoptic gospels because they they share a lot in common. All three have this story, and all three in their story have this one question. It seems to be very important. What do you want from me? It's almost as if he's saying, do you want money? Is that what you want? Or do you, or do you want what I can do for you? Or do you want me? Which one do you want? In fact, it's a question that we can kind of extrapolate to today in our own 21st century setting. And we can ask it over. Why are you in the room right now? Why are you here? What do you want from God? Do you want money? Do you want what he can do for you? Or do you want him? And it's kind of like this big deal. And sometimes God will cause you to state the obvious. He will will call you to state the obvious. And why would he do that? Because sometimes it's not always obvious. It's not always obvious. Is is what you want money? I can give you money. I, I, I Certainly, I'm God. I could do more than that. What do you want? What is it that you want from me? Of course, the guy says to him, I want to be able to see. And he actually probably wants a couple things. First of all, he's crying out because he's heard all these things Jesus have done. He can obviously heal me. I want to be able to see. But he also obviously wanted Jesus too. And we know that because at the very end of the story, what does he do? He jumps up, he can see, and what does it say he does in verse 52? Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He instantly becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you. At the same time, it'd be nice if I could see as well. In fact, Jesus says, uh, go away, your faith has saved you, or the same word is healed you, or delivered you. It's our word sozo. We've looked at this before in the the Greek text. Sozo almost always have a spiritual salvific kind of a meaning towards it. So uh, your faith has healed you, or your faith has saved you, or your faith has delivered you is the idea. And it works right in conjunction with the rest of our theological understanding of, of how, what it means to be saved or how somebody gets saved or how do you get salvation from God. You believe in Jesus Christ. You have faith in him and that's what saves you. And the same thing happens here. He is saved by his faith. So a guy gains eternity with God and as a nice byproduct along the way, he receives sight on this earth as well. That's what's happening in this text. What was it about his approach that got him healed? Why did Jesus uh, turn towards him? What was it about his approach? And, and really, if we're going to understand that, we got to understand some other contextual ideas of what's going on in our story. Now, you got to remember, we have these players in the book of Mark. We have, we have the religious leaders and their perspective. We have the followers or disciples of Jesus Christ and their perspective. Then we have us and our perspective as readers All right, so let's go to all three of them. Let's go to the religious leaders. What is their perspective? They're completely blind to Jesus, completely blind. In the spiritual sense, they're completely blind. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They're rejecting him as Messiah. They don't want to follow him. In fact, they're actively looking for a way to kill him. They are blind towards anything as it relates to Jesus and they believe they're rich in their self-righteousness but they are so spiritually poor, as poor as a beggar spiritually because they have no relationship with God or connection with God. And so here the the spiritual leaders, the, the, the religious leaders of the day and they're completely blind to Jesus and they're as poor as a beggar, spiritually as poor as a beggar. And the story goes to say, but Jesus can heal you of your blindness. Jesus can heal you of your blindness. Let's put them aside, and let's go to the disciples now. Disciples, obviously followers of Christ... But they're completely blind to Jesus in his mission. Remember, he's been telling them, I'm going to go into Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And they're going, no, we don't want to see that. We don't want that. In fact, we're not even listening to that anymore. We're more concerned about if we're going to be your right, left lieutenant in your kingdom than we are about you and this whole dying thing. Could you please stop talking about that? We're not into that. In that sense, they're completely blind to his mission and what he's here to do completely blind, and, and, and the story is saying, but Jesus can heal you of your blindness. Us, as readers, we look at it, and, and, and apart from Jesus opening up our eyes, we will never see him, we'll remain blind, completely spiritually speaking. And, and, and in a relationship with God, we'd be poor in the sense that we wouldn't have any relationship. In that sense, we become the blind beggar, but Jesus can heal you of your blindness. In fact, in Isaiah 35, verse 5, it says that Messiah will make the blind see. And in this passage and in this text, we see him do it both physically and spiritually. And spiritually. So what is it about the guy's approach that made him do it? You see, the same compassion and mercy that is displayed in helping the blind beggar is a picture of a similar compassion and mercy that we all need from God to be considered a child of God. The fact of the matter is God's way up here and I'm way down.